Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Welcome to episode 17 of This Spiritual Fix, where today we are going to be exploring the wound of injustice. This is the third of the five wounds. Stay tuned. Hypnosis. Mindfulness. Meditation. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello listeners. After listening to our injustice wound, we decided we wanted to tag on a little bit more information at the beginning of the episode. So this part might sound different than the other parts because we're in the middle of a storm. Yep. I wanted to preface this with the injustice wound unlike any of the other wounds, is going to trigger more injustice than any of them. And in doing that, you may want to judge us. We might provoke injustice in you when you hear us discussing our injustices. Will you want to talk a little bit more, Chris? Yeah, yeah. No, I'll I'll say what I've come to realize with all of this, especially with injustice, there is nowhere... Injustice is a spectrum, and... You can sit anywhere on injustice and there will always be people who experience more injustice than you and there will always be people who experience less injustice with you. That does not make your experience any less valid. And interestingly, doing the have and the have-nots when it comes to the injustice, our level of injustice is pretty low on the spectrum of, of what we could experience with injustice in this world. Right. Like there are we're, we're on if, if you wanted to actually like create a hierarchy, like we're pretty on the hey, we don't experience that much injustice. But the most important thing to recognize with the injustice wound is that the injustice wound is what is a door that gives you access to whatever level of injustice you're is you are experiencing. We may talk about injustice and we may talk about something that feels really superficial to someone who's experiencing systemic injustice like systemic racism human trafficking you know you name it Uh, yeah like they can't go to school because they don't have an issue like all of those things are completely valid for being on the spectrum of significantly more injustice than what we experience but what we're trying to get to with this particular episode is that every single person experiences injustice right and the access that we're giving you is the injustice in your own life and it doesn't matter what level it is it doesn't matter if you're like you're at a, you know, if your injustice is more justified than our injustice. Exactly. It's all about 
how do you access your own injustice in whatever way that you can. And I think that I think that creating any sort of division that says, well, you can't actually talk about injustice is not true because we're all human and we all experience all five of these wounds. All right. So sit back, relax and hear the original episode. Yep. Hello, Christina. Hi, Anna. How are you doing today? It's been a great day. It has. I'm not working today. It's my day off. Yes. And I and I have made my life so that I always get Fridays off. So I am happy about it. And I'm really looking forward to this episode that you will be leading on injustice. It's my turn to lead and I'll be leading injustice. Awesome. In the meantime, I want to tell you about a story. (laughs) Tell me about your week. Yeah. So I, so one of our teachers, Charles, which you may have heard, he has a technology. I'm just going to say it like that. He has a technology similar to radionics, if you've heard about that, but it, it started off as like an electrical instrument. It was a box that he electronically created that did energy healing. And then he started to realize he didn't need the box. He unplugged it. He unplugged it. And he literally just has unplugged electronic boxes in a room. As he and his consciousness keeps upgrading this technology, what it does is it acts on you in a level of of basically opening up and clearing up things. You could kind of say it in a summary is like, if you want to think of yourself as a, as a computer, then what it does is it gives you an upgrade to your, your operating system. It's an iOS update. It is. For your, it's, your chakra system. Exactly. It's an OS update. And so I hadn't had it done in, I usually every two to three months, maybe three to four months, I'm like, oh, I really want to do this again because I really feel like I could use the help, the support, right? And it's it's like my daily maintenance thing. It's like instead of going to the doctor because I don't usually get sick, I just do this every couple of months. And I'm just like, yeah. And it's this helps me do better at being intuitive and being psychic and all these different things. Like I always have this massive breakthrough. I need to go back to him. Whenever I do it. <laughs> but I, I genuinely, so I started... Originally, I would do like a, just a session. I would go to his house for like an hour and just like lay in the thing. He had a version where he did it every night for 15 minutes, um, for like a week. And that was when like things started to get really real for me in this process. And I would wake up on one of the mornings inevitably and always just be like, Oh, I get this. Like, it was like something that had tried to get through to me before didn't. So like the first one was, I realized that every single person I had a problem with was actually self-hatred. I was just like, every single thing that I hate in somebody else is something I hate about myself, right? And the the lessons have just progressed from there. I make it sound like it's this wonder, amazing thing, but it kind of is for me. It kind of is. Yeah, it kind of is for me. So I just did it this week, and it had gotten an upgrade because he had gotten an upgrade. So I couldn't tell anything was happening for the first five or six nights, even though there was weird stuff that would happen in the middle of the night. I I would just be woken up by crazy things, and that has a lot to do with like, needing to physically move your body to like break something up that's needing that that's like if you stay still and you're sleeping you may not have enough physical activity to break something physically up in your body like energetically that is trying to release itself but Sunday morning I woke up I think it was like the fifth or sixth morning and I had a dream about being in a karate dojo and I was so bent on not getting hit by my sparring partner that I was literally like, I, I was like uh, at my waist, I was like leaning backwards. So I wasn't standing Like Matrix, up. Keanu Reeves Matrix. Yeah, yeah. But it like, was like at my waist in particular, like at the, you can see I'm leaning back, right? Uh, and 
because I was just so hell bent on not getting hit so much so that I couldn't even be on the offensive, right? Like I couldn't even attempt to hit the other person because I was just trying to stay out of the range of their hits. And I just recognized how abandonment, because we had just done the abandonment episode and it had, it, I think, I think, and in fact, Charles confirmed this, that talking about abandonment in the episode was enough to stir it up again mm-hmm. so that the episode gave me the access to the wound again my awareness kept building and building and building. And I started to recognize how upset I was again by whenever Luke wasn't available or whenever my family left and all these things, all this abandonment came up. And then I was like, and that prompted me to get this technology to, to request it from Charles, which then huge, massive shedding just like came off of me. This dream happened and then I was nauseated and I was sick. And that whole day and the days that followed, I was just like, oh my God, abandonment is everywhere in my life. And I've been working through it this whole week, but it's been a really cathartic experience for me and to recognize how much my codependence, but also the actual, it's like the mask is gone and it's more about the wound. It's more about like the fear that I have of people leaving me and not being available and like not feeling as if I can do it on my own. So I just wanted to kind of give an update on that because doing the episode about it triggered this entire thing about, and so maybe for y'all listening to the episode, we'll do that as well. So I wanted to just say that experience. That was the way that I have available to me. Like the technology is what I have available to me to help me with that lesson, but call on your support systems to be able to do it as well. So, I mean, whether that's calling one of us or, you know, having sessions with one of us or having whatever it is that you need to be able to help you kind of break that up in your system if you're feeling that abandonment wound. So I wanted to say that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. So today I'm going to talk about injustice. In our previous episodes, we discussed abandonment and rejection. This is the third primal wound called injustice. Mm-hmm. We still have betrayal and humiliation left to go. So, it's a smorgasbord. We drink from all cups. You know, we all have all of this in us. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about the injustice wound. Yep. So it's funny because in my preparation of the injustice wound, I freaking like fell into injustice. I started to see it in my life. It's funny because like, I feel like I went through I feel like I went through a lot of the injustice wound last year when I was processing this and like working on it. And then like this week, just as recording abandonment brought up a lot of abandonment in you, preparing for today brought up a lot of injustice in my world. So I'll, I'll talk about that. But the first thing I want to do is just describe what the injustice wound is. So it is this perception of right and wrong. And when you feel like you have been victimized by an injustice, there is anger. There's often a desire for revenge, mm-hmm. there, uh, like to even the scales. You might be mad that someone did something and you might feel betrayed or rejected by them. But like, if there's a dose of, well, I got to get them back or they need to suffer too. You might, it's my, most likely you're dealing with an injustice wound because there's this desire to like make it right, make it right. So like all the wounds, you have a corresponding mask for the wound. Meaning like the abandonment wounds mask is codependency because if I'm codependent, this person will never leave me. Mm -hmm. The rejection wound is the fugitive meaning. If I run away from them, they can't hurt me. And the mask for injustice is rigidity or harsh. So Mm -hmm. they're like very rigid, they're very harsh. Things have to be done in a certain way. There's a lot of unrealistic expectations which they put on others and themselves and also perfection. 
And one of the things that gives them anxiety is relaxing. So with the injustice wound, there is this perceived sense of injustice, Mm -hmm. that something wrong has happened to me, I need to make it right. And I want to just kind of preface that there are injustices in the world. Like there, there is systemic racism, there is systemic sexism, there is, there are true injustices in the world. I'm not trying to say that those are okay. What I'm trying to do is say, are you really having an injustice happen in your life? Is this, is this your wound or is this a true injustice? Now, this is my yardstick. Like I have a yardstick. Mm-hmm. If a hundred people experience the exact same thing that you are experiencing, would they all have the same reaction? Then you know it's a true injustice. For example, if a hundred people were paid 70 cents for every dollar, would all of them feel that there's an injustice happening? Right. Yeah. They would say, yes. Yeah. Like, why right. I'm doing the same job. Why do I get 70 cents instead of a dollar? Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you have another hundred people and your child has made a huge mess. Would all hundred of those people say an injustice has happened? Maybe not. 30 would say, well, that's just what ch- children do. The other 30 wouldn't care less. The, the other 30 would think something else. And 10 would say, what an injustice. I created that child. That child should know better not to make yeah. a mess. What I'm saying in that situation, you could say like, no, if there is any discrepancy on the reaction, it's probably an injustice wound. It's not a true injustice. No, no, I totally do, do you what you're saying. To say is, I'm trying to say that like there are true injustices in the world and I'm not talking about that. Like I'm not trying to say discrimination's okay or, you know, sexism is okay. I, I'm trying to talk about the wound of injustice, which is perceived injustice in interpersonal relationships. No, it makes perfect sense. And it reminds me a lot of what we've said in the past with this whole idea of general or general critique versus specific specific requests. Right. Right. So it's the whole idea of like, like it's not a matter of saying like, Oh, well people will interpret differently. So therefore it's not injustice. It's more a matter of saying like, you may have an indicator that there is an injustice wound happening. If you're doing something and everyone, and like you tell your friend about it and your friend's like, okay, that, that sounds bad, but uh, right. Right. Like, for example, like if a hundred women are punched in the eye and a hundred women and and of those hundred women, they all have a black eye. There was some abuse happening there. Right. But let's say you have a hundred women and her husband stands her up. A hundred women might have different ideas about injustice. You know, again, 50 will say, well, something important must have come up. 25 will say, well, maybe he had an accident. 15 will be really angry and feel abandoned and the other five will feel like there's an injustice. So again, you know, like, yeah. And it's, and it's not a matter of saying that, like, we're going to vote on what is an injustice or what is not, because ultimately whether something is a communal injustice that is happening systemically in a system or whether it's a personal injustice, it is all ringing the bell. Right. It's still ringing your injustice bell. Right. It's still ringing your injustice bell. Right. Okay. So how do you know if you have an injustice wound? One is again, like you perceive injustice, you perceive you're in the victim of injustice. You feel like a need to balance the scales. And then you have two different types of oppressor. You have the oppressed. So that comes with like shame and fear And then you have the oppressor. So you can inflict the injustice wound on others, which is denial, disassociation. In fact, ironically, ironically, the people that I know in my life who suffer from the injustice wound are the most unfair people I know. So yes, you've got that. Yes. So going into my own personal story of injustice, I want to say that with injustice often comes rejection, right? Like I have perceived an injustice, so I will reject you. In fact, some of the most beautiful contributors in this world were say, 
Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, because they did not reject. They were inclusive. They were loving. There was not a um, right, wrong, me, you thing. It was like, there's an injustice, but I'm not going to reject the other side. I'm going to embrace the other side. Do you, you see what I'm saying? There's, yeah. there's no rejection in it. Yeah. Whereas typically what happens, especially right now in our political climate, it's like, I believe what I believe. And if you don't believe what I believe, you're wrong, injustice wound. And not only are you wrong, I'm rejecting you. We have all this divisiveness and all this separation because people aren't able to understand that we can have, you know, an unfairness or an injustice between us, but we don't have to reject the other. Yeah, exactly. And you could say, and we've mentioned this in the past, right, is this idea that like the divine masculine sees things as you and me. It sees things as like, I need to reject you. I need to actively do something to get rid of you. Whereas the divine feminine on the, on the polarity is able to embrace two truths because they are two truths for it. So like if Anna believes that the sky is blue and I believe this sky is green, the divine masculine in some ways could be like, well, Anna's wrong and I reject her. Or the divine feminine, which is what we're talking about with MLK and Mahatma Gandhi and this whole like um, the the different methods that they have is they say, you believe it's green and I believe it's blue. I am going to watch you believe it's green and I'm going to sit here in my truth that it is blue and I'm not going to reject you while you do right. it. A wonderful example of that is Daryl Davis, who was a blues musician. And for the last 30 years, he befriended members of the Ku Klux Klan. Let me, let me preface this with Daryl Davis was African-American. He became friends with the Ku Klux Klan, meaning he accepted them. He didn't reject them. He made friends with them. And since he did that, he started talking with them. He went to their meetings, yada, yada, yada. He says that in 30 years, 200 Klansmen have given up their robes. And when they do, they give them to Davis and he keeps the robes in his home as a reminder. If he went into the Ku Klux Klan meetings and was like, you guys are wrong and I'm rejecting you, he would never have the same kind of impact that he had by befriending them and then helping them through his friendship and acceptance of them to show them the other side. Yep. Right? Not everyone can do that. That that Daryl Davis must have really worked on his rejection wound or injustice wound in order to be able to do that, right? Yep, yep. And it's called nonviolent direct action, which is this idea of of showing people of basically standing up and being a mirror and saying, you're not letting me do this. And this is an injustice. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say the discrepancies and the injustices that are happening, but I'm not going to reject you in the process. I am going to, all that can ever be is, I mean, there's that quote that's been going around all around MLK day, which is this idea that like, you can't, you can't replace hate with hate. Mm -hmm. darkness cannot take away darkness darkness is an absence not a presence so to alleviate darkness you need to bring a presence to it which is light right darkness cannot drive out darkness only light can do that hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that right and that's the entire idea of uh, being able to hold two truths at the same time and recognize that if you are coming from a place of love and not rejection and you're in the face of injustice then you will prevail because you are filling the darkness with love. Right. You might be listening to this and not be like a political person or a social person, but you can experience injustices all the time. You know, it's not my turn to take out the trash. There's an injustice. You know, my kids need to be quiet while I'm working. That could be an injustice. Like Mm -hmm. you can experience the wound of injustice on a daily level every time that you're trying to say things should be this way and they're not. That's rigidity and that's harshness and that is injustice wound. Yep. Yep. As far as on a more interpersonal level with the injustice thing, 
I'd ask my kids to do something. They didn't do it the first five times I asked. I would feel like righteous indignation, like injustice in that. Like, I'm your mother. I do so much for you. And you haven't done this one thing that I've asked you to do. Totally, that's my injustice crap, you know? I have this like OCD thing where like, if the house isn't nice and tidy, I don't let myself relax. Like, what is that? That's harshness. That's rigidity. That's needing things to be perfect. And I have this whole like, I can't be happy or I can't relax until everything in the house is in the right place or until the kitchen's clean. You know, like I have this rigidity thing about it, which is a whole fairness, justice, weird thing, which is injustice wound. It's thinking that there was a right and wrong in the world. Yep. And the world is not right and wrong. The world is messy. Yeah. It's it's all just different shades of gray. There's literally no black and white anywhere in this world. It's all just the the shades of gray that exist in between and all of it's going to come from your perceptions and your wounds. And going forward to our kind of forgiveness thing too is like you actually maybe have a hand in everything that's happening, right? I think that that's the healthy view is actually I have a hand in the way that all of these systems are, all these systems of injustice are being held up and I forgive that in myself and I forgive that and I forgive the need to see that that is happening. Right. And then maybe that's how you heal it as opposed to trying to fight. Right. Tell me about your own, your experiences. Like you, I know you say that you lived with injustice for 30 years. Like how did injustice show up for you? Right. So I would say that injustice really started to show up when I got married, especially because, uh, I mean, it's just like I said, it's like a cocktail of abandonment and rejection and self-hatred and blah, 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 (laughs) like in betrayal. And you can, you can just like the list goes on. But, but what I recognize is that Luke and I, my husband and I took on, have taken on so many massive, huge projects that require a lot of energy, a lot of time. There's no like, a friend of mine once said, uh, described this about her, her relationship, but she's just like, we're a working couple. Like we do best when we're doing projects and we're doing things like that. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I feel like there's probably a point in Luke and I's life in which we'll be okay not doing that stuff. But to date, we built our own house and constructed it, which we've mentioned in the past. Um, you know, we've tried to homestead. We've, we've just done so many things. And, and so for me, Injustice has always been in relation to how we divide everything in our lives. Being someone who is a feminist, I never accepted that I had to do more because of anything, right? Because I was a woman, that didn't mean that I had to clean and that didn't mean I had to cook. That didn't mean I had any more responsibilities than I did. And so the rigidity that I, I mean, I think I chose my partner because I knew that he would split everything, but the rigidity in which I was kind of behaving in my relationship was unfair. (laughs) It was unfair. I mean, it was, it was, it was unfair because I was just like, I was just so insistent about it. And then anytime that I felt that the scales had tipped in my, in the favor of him and that he didn't have to do as much, even though we're very, we're both very cyclical. Like that's how it works. Like one person will do a lot one week, the next person will do nothing. But I would get, I would just get all up and I would just, and I would always have to point it out. You have to tally it. See, I, I was never allowed it. to do injustice in our, my marriage. Cause anytime I brought anything up to my husband, like, Hey, it's not fair. Cause like I'm doing all this and you didn't do that. He'd be like, where's your scorecard? Like, why do you have a scorecard? Why are you tallying everything? Yeah. This is a marriage. Like we both give our hundred percent and our hundred percent both might look different to each other on different days, but we both put in our hundred percent. Yeah. And And my family actually created a tally card. 
So when I was living in the house two houses ago, we created a board and instead, you know, like how some people do it with the kids, the kids were too young at that point, but like we put every, I remember that. Yeah. Because we put, we put every single chore that you could do and any single time that we did it, we got to put up a magnet and then the magnet then added up to money. So we would just get in fights all the time and I would just be like, all right, well then reward me for all the stuff I'm doing. And it was so interesting because what turned out is that no matter what happened, we basically all did the same amount of work. Like by being able to see it, you stop being able to create this little thing in your head that said it was, there was an injustice happening because the scorecard was actually showing that overall it was about the same. We were both working our butts off. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really, really helped me to get over a lot of my injustice wound because I started to recognize that all of it was in my head, the specificity of what I felt was, oh, I need to, I need to do this, like, or you need, you're not doing enough. You know, I probably need the reminder again, because it's definitely coming up again. But it was interesting then, because whenever I saw your relationship, I was totally different, totally different. I would always put my injustice wound onto you. Like to me, it's not unjust. If I... If I'm the one who did like every single night waking, night, night, night waking with my children, it's because I wanted to, like I wanted to. And so there's no injustice in that to me. And like, like, you know, like I bring them to the bus stop every single morning because my husband likes to sleep in and I love, I love being the last person they say goodbye to when they get on the bus, probably my abandonment thing, but there's no injustice in the fact that I'm the one who does every bus drop off because I want to do it. But on the outside, it might look like an, an unequal distribution of labor. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, if I ever saw you, I feel like I, I usually only brought it up when you were just like, I'm done. I need a break. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do get exhausted. But the thing is, I think I would get inzo- exhausted anyways, or I would, I would find injustice anyways, because the wound the stimulus doesn't create the wound, right? Like the wound is there. Yeah, the wound is there anyway. So it was so interesting because for so long, I just kept being like, Anna, you have got to get some feminism into your relationship. You have got to get some equal standards here. Like this is total bullshit. Like I, I are, I'm the main breadwinner in my family and I still do all the chores. Is that because I'm a woman or because I'm just like cold crazy about keeping it fair between right. the two of us? And it really, I mean, it really, yeah, that's me and injustice. Talking about injustice, like one thing that I really find fascinating about injustice is that nothing really has meaning. Everything just has the meaning we give it. The theme of this week has been like, nothing has meaning. It is the meaning that we give it, that nothing has meaning. Like everything exists in relationship to the meaning that we give it. A great example of this is the story of a true man from India named Pralid Jani. You might have heard of him. He's born in 1929. He was an Indian breathitarian who did not eat or drink. You heard of this guy? Yeah. So he says that the goddess Amba came to him in a vision and said, I'm going to give you Amrita, which is like divine nectar. She like put it in the top of his throat. And she says, I'm giving you Amrita, which is an elixir. And for the rest of your life, you'll never have to eat or drink again. And he has never eaten or drinking since, according to him. The Defense Research Development Organization of India, located in Delhi, heard of him, and they have conducted numerous experiments. Other hospitals have, where they have like put him in lockdown, kept him under CCT surveillance, monitored his body temp, vitals, his urine, everything, like studied everything to be like, 
is he really not eating or drinking? And he's not eating or drinking. Like mm-hmm. they would give him a thimble size little thing of water to brush his teeth at night and he would spit it out. And they're like, he might've absorbed some of that water, but like he didn't eat or drink for the other 15 days. So like, how is that happening? It's because of the meaning he put on food. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like that's a true, true case of someone who believes so firmly in something that he contradicted the laws of nature because his belief was so strong. Mm -hmm. Whether the goddess visited him or not doesn't matter. What matters is he believes she did. And in his belief and in the meaning he put on the miracle that she gave him, boom, this man doesn't need water. Yeah. He doesn't need food. Yeah. I love that story. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with Wim Hof. Right. So have you heard of Wim Hof? Yeah. My husband, yeah, my husband does the, did the course. Right. So, so part of, and, and I'm, I'm doing this only 10% justice. I'm going to say Luke does it too. So my husband does it too. And it's, um, so much of it, it's, it has, it's a breathing technique, right? But the entire idea of Wim Hof is that he, he does this breathing technique and he's committed to an outcome, right? So it's a combination of those two things and it's slightly more complex than that. But the idea being that he has had him and his students have been injected with Ebola and never shown any symptoms or mm-hmm. taken on the infection because they are committed to the belief that they can, they, they can go out in sub-freezing temperatures for very long periods of time and not have any issues. Super oxygenating the blood helps in those cases, but so is the commitment and the belief to what you're actually doing right to say this is not going to affect me and i'm committed to that the the majority of the injustice wound relies on the meaning that you're giving arbitrary things right mm-hmm. it's it's the meaning that you're putting on things of being fair or not fair i kind of want to talk about one way that i made a huge dent in my injustice yeah. wound and then i want to hear yours okay during the political fervor of divisiveness i stood on one side of the political agenda very strongly to the point that if people didn't agree with a certain topic, I would reject them either. Maybe not overtly, maybe overtly, maybe in aggression in a conversation, but I could not have a conversation about some of these topics without getting very angry to the point that you would avoid the people and the I would avoid the people in the conversation. Cause I was like, I was like, you can't believe, you don't believe this. I don't want to be around you, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. So I had an RTT, which is a Marissa Peer Rapid Transformation Therapy. You start the session with an intention. And my intention was, I want to understand why I reject and become so triggered by injustice whenever about, about certain political topics. Because for the most part, I'm accepting and forgiving of everyone. I can respect differences in religion, differences in a lot of things, but like certain political topics, I just could not like see beyond it. So I did my RTT and in the RTT, I had to go back to my childhood and I saw three different memories. In two of the memories, it was a situation where I was laughed at as a child for something. And in the third memory, I was, I was told not to go near this dog and I went near it anyways and it bit me. And while my mom and aunt were nursing my wounds, they were scolding me for going near the dog because they told me not to and I went. And in my like horrible fear and pain of being bit by this dog and needing my new wounds nursed, I was being scolded. So there was this sense of injustice, right? And going back to where I was being laughed at in the, in the other memories, it was like my feelings were important. I was being laughed at and there was a sense of injustice. So what did I learn from that RTT was when I perceive injustice, 
when I perceive a, a threat, when I perceive being vulnerable, I reject. Because if I reject the other person, it's kind of like shiny object, shiny object, the, the magician with his shiny object, look over here, slide a hand. If I can reject them or attack them, I don't have to actually be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. right? It was a defense mechanism to avoid vulnerability. Yeah. And I kid you not, the day after I had that RTT, I was having a political conversation with someone that I've had the same political conversation with this person for the last 10 years. And that person has never seen my side of things. I have the same opinion that I have on that political thing. It's not that I, it's not like I suddenly had a change of heart. I no longer had the need to reject I had no longer had the need to attack. So as this person presented their ideas, I listened respectfully. I presented my ideas respectfully. I presented the same ideas I have been presenting for 10 years. What was the only difference? The only difference was I was no longer rejecting that person in the process or attacking. The person that I had the conversation with called me back 15 minutes later and said, you won't believe this, but I actually agree with you. And I really liked the way that you handled the conversation. And I hung up and I was like, oh my God, it's just like that guy, Daryl Davis, who didn't reject. Like, because I was able to love that person, even though I didn't agree with them, I was still able to hold space for them to show their opinion. They no longer felt threatened that they were finally able to hear me. And because they were not in the defense and because they were not threatened and they actually heard me, they actually changed their mind. So I actually, quote unquote, won the justice fight because I finally gave it up. Yeah, that was huge for me. That was really big for me. Okay, so what about you? Yeah, so no, no, that's that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. Because So I mentioned at the beginning, but what helped me a lot was, I mean, I mentioned at the beginning about this defensive stance, right? Like where you're like, you don't even want to get in the fight because you're just always kind of trying to protect yourself. And when I was in injustice, injustice for me was in the throat. And it was the very first step that I needed to get over in order to get into rejection and all the other ones that followed, right? Because I kind of, I used the wounds as access to get further and deeper into my body and not be so afraid of being human. And so when I needed to get over injustice, injustice, like I said, I've been in it for for 30 years or really strongly for 10 years since I'd been in a relationship. And it felt like it just kept, it was just like the easy thing that I could, it was like a, the cream I kept skimming off the top of the milk sort of thing. It just like kept coming up and I was like, oh, I'm in injustice again. I'm in injustice again. It just felt like being on a record player. And so one of the things that helped was a conversation that I had with, I think it was around that time, but it was basically this whole idea that I was talking about, about the divine feminine and the divine masculine. What I started to recognize was that my injustice was stemming a lot from this belief in scarcity and this and this need to be perfect. It was these two things that really contributed to my injustice wound. Scarcity was, I only have a certain amount of energy and if I'm doing more than my fair share, I don't have that energy to spend on the things that I want to, right? So it goes back to kind of this self-abandonment idea of like, I'm just going to give up everything that I have for the good of the community. And then I'm not going to have anything, any time or energy for myself. Right? So that was one thing was the scarcity belief. And then the second one was this understanding and this needing to be perfect, needing to have my idea and opinion in the world and my solution be the solution that works. And that, again, that one goes back to a deeper one of, rejection right of this like if you listen to the rejection episode I talk about 
creative self-sabotage, right? And like how I would just not go into things and not do things and not present solutions because I was so afraid that they would be rejected once they finally came out. And so injustice was like the tip of the iceberg for these other deeper wounds, right, that I was experiencing. So when I started to recognize that scarcity, so when I started to recognize, so I had to basically combat those two things. The mm-hmm. first thing that I had to do was I had to recognize, for one thing, there is not just a limited amount of energy in the world and that it wasn't just like I had an allocation for the day and that was done because I knew, I started to, to recognize that every single time I was really passionate about doing something, I found energy from the greatest, deepest stores of inside of me. There was always energy for the things that I love to do, right? Mm-hmm. So scarcity of energy is not true. It's, just, it's a fallacy. It was the meaning you gave it. It was it's not true. Yeah. It was the meaning that I gave it. Uh, and it was also the idea that I am worth spending time on my own things. Like I don't need to feel guilty for doing my own thing first. If I do feel like I have a scarcity of energy that day, then I'll just do my own thing first and then I'll work on the communal thing. And I don't need to feel this need to always get up and clean or always get up and do whatever because the other person's not doing it. So much of it was self-imposed injustice, thinking that I should feel guilty because my partner was doing something. So then I just kind of flipped it and said, oh, well, you're not doing enough or I'm doing to, or, or I would like overcompensate for feeling guilty. So I had to forgive myself for the guilt that I felt whenever I needed a break or whenever I needed to take care of myself. So I did those two things with regards to scarcity. And then the third thing was recognizing that I needed to give myself room to fail. Mm -hmm. Right? So perfectionism is all about, for me, is about this fear of rejection and this fear of not being useful. Mm -hmm. Right? And if I give you a solution that isn't perfect or great or the best then maybe I'm not useful anymore and maybe you'll just get rid of me. Right. Right. So if I can recognize that a lot of my injustice is actually masking this real fear that I'm going to be left if I'm not useful, this like codependence part of it, or I'm going to be rejected if my solution isn't good enough, then I don't need to feel injustice anymore. I don't need to give you the perfect solution and I don't need to always be right. And by giving myself the freedom to not always be right, injustice dissolves really quickly. Because you know you're going to be loved unconditionally no matter what. And you know that effectively, even if you're wrong, you're still loved. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking to that, it's funny. I yesterday was rolling in the injustice of the pandemic and how we normally have, yes, I'm blessed and privileged that we normally have a housekeeper come every two weeks to my house. And with the pandemic, we don't, we have someone that we trust and she's only available once every few months. So my labor during the pandemic has quadrupled in terms of housekeeping because I don't have those same resources that I had before. And yesterday I was feeling the injustice of it. Mm -hmm. It's not fair that this happened and I have all this work to do, rolling in injustice, rolling in injustice. I was like, I have to change the way I believe about messes. I have to change the way I believe about cleanliness because it is making me unhappy. This injustice thing driving me to perfectionism that like my house has to be clean and in order when I have two small kids and two dogs, it's making me miserable. That's rigidity. That's perfectionism. I could see the injustice wound staring me at the face. 
So it was very funny. Yesterday I went outside to check the mail and there was a pile of paint cans by our trash can. That pile of paint cans has been there since I cleaned out the garage like six months ago because those paint cans need to be disposed of in a environmentally safe way. And Mm -hmm. I just, with all my stuff on my to-do list, I just have not gotten around to it. My husband hasn't gotten around to it. And we just have this pile of paint cans by the trash can. And pretty much every day for six months, when I look at that pile of trash paint cans, I think I fucking hate those paint cans. I can never do enough. This is messy. This is not perfect. I get start getting really rigid and into my ingestive wound. Was as I'm walking towards the garage and I see the paint cans, I'm looking at them and I'm like, these fucking paint cans, I need to fucking take care of them. And I stop myself and say, no, Anna, just like the man who doesn't need water and food, you just need to change the meaning that you're giving the paint cans. What meaning do you want to give them? And I look at the paint cans and they're all lined up and all of their little handles are dropped. So they all look like smiley faces smiling at me. (laughs) And I swear I hear them tell me, they're like, it's my imagination, but I hear them say to me, Anna, we're just here to show you that life doesn't have to be perfect to be loved. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. And they're like, and you don't have to be perfect to be loved. I was like, that's true. Yep. And now that I accept that, maybe I'm ready to finally get rid of those paint cans. <laughs> they just had to, you had to they see had them ma- smiling. I had to see them smiling. I had to change the meaning I was giving the mess. Yeah. To kind of wrap this, this episode up if you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. I'm is ready. I wanted to kind of leave it on two beautiful quotes. One is from Albert Einstein. We've all heard before. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Mm-hmm. And I love this one by Pierce Brown. Man cannot be freed by the same injustice that enslaved it. Mm-hmm. We cannot free ourselves from the injustice wound if we're trying to make it right. We have to free the injustice wound when we realize that Everything is fair and unfair at the same time. And everything is perfect and imperfect at the, at the same time. Yep. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. We hope that the, you got as much out of this episode as we did. Please feel free to send us any questions at this.spiritual.fix at gmail.com. And we will be happy to answer them in a future bonus episode. And remember. Humility. Gratitude. Acceptance. Done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.